sorry, bear with me. I'm just bashing things around here because I'm not comfortable. Oh, I oh, forgot okay. you don't need to do that. You can make it. That's just my chat. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> you oh, okay? Lord alive. No, nice. Okay. Has that made it better? Well, it's not made it worse. So. Sorry. Okay. Are you comfortable? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, more comfortable. Yeah. Great. Okay. We've been going for an hour already, Alex. I'm going to get I DBT. know. We haven't even talked about. Mm. Um... <laughs> today william Oops. yeah very good thanks alexander i um i've just rushed my lunch so i could uh, come and talk to you so uh, if there's any unfortunate sound effects, <laughs> then i can only apologize to your avid fan base uh, avid the single figures um <laughs> but they are very valued and you really, you nail sincerity. Do you have a problem where the more, the harder you try to be sincere, the more insincere you sound? Because I really struggle from this. I think I used to be quite a good compliment giver, but I've, I've become one of the worst compliment givers I've ever met. It's when I'm saying thank you for something and trying to be, you know, genuine. Um, and like someone's given me a gift or done something and I'll say thank you. And I'm like, that sounded so insincere but i actually really meant it would you like to try because presumably presumably at the end of this podcast you will thank me for participating so would you like to try <laughs> thanking me now <laughs> it's a rehearsal we all need a rehearsal um <laughs> but life is not a rehearsal bill life is you know we're living i noticed how you sidestep that gonna be a feature of this <laughs> Thank you, Will, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be a part of the Patterpod. That was quite good. Well, it's sort of backhanded because at the end I sort of twisted it and was like, I'm doing you a favour of yeah. letting you be a part of this. See, yeah. that's selfish. There and... was there was a horrendous amount of mocking in the phrase busy schedule, said schedule. Actually, <laughs> that, that was quite damning. But the thank you was good. Doing? Yeah, thank you so much. You're well done. <laughs> Two in a row. <laughs> the only way is up. I'm slightly concerned about your levels. Too loud still. I think it's still too loud. Okay, I'll bring myself down. Where are you at the moment? I'm in that there London. In the northwest <laughs> of that there London. In suburbia. Oh, lovely. I'm sat in my bedroom looking out at the window as the rain falls gently. Beautiful. And what have you been up to today? Uh, well, I didn't go for a run. You'll be disgusted to hear. And then uh, <laughs> I uh, I went and did a risk assessment on uh, a church to see if I could get Charmley Court Society back in action in person. And uh, yeah, I think it looked hopeful. I think we could. There are some things we could do. So great. That's really positive. Yeah, I think it's important to. I think it comes with its own difficulties. Uh, the reason I want to get them back is because participation for virtual concerts has been only really taken up by the brave and uh, mm. the technophiles, um, and there are a lot of them out there who I think would like to to do something like that, but perhaps aren't brave enough or technologically adept. So if I can get them all in a group of four in the same large space socially distanced and and get them singing if i can record that then i can maybe record groups of four at a time and then create something that way 
that'd be quite nice. Yeah. How have you found the whole virtual choir not being able to meet together situation? Is that your telephone? No. Is it? I can hear a telephone going. God, uh, sorry, I'm so, I have the attention span of a gnat, don't I? Do you want to ask that question <laughs> again? I'm just watching a fly fly around my <laughs> <room>. <laughs> <All> kittens. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, how, how have I found, what, virtual choirs? Um, sort of, de- well, I think it's not really that, sort of dealing with, because we've just all had to deal with a, such a lot of change and uh, not being able to do what we do and sort of are naturally able to like go into a room and energise people to sing. And mm. So how have you found dealing with that, or sort of adjusting to that and creating new ways of engaging that community? That's a really interesting question, the way you phrased that, because it is about enthusing and encouraging people and i think the thing that you're really excellent at is that the way you the way you give in a rehearsal and the way you uh, enthuse and encourage others to to sing and that's that's really what the job is isn't it particularly with sort of community mm. choirs and things like that that's really the, the point of it and that's been really difficult uh, to find a good way of doing that i think the way the way of of reading a room knowing where your jokes are going to lie or fall all of that you miss so much and the energy you get off people. Um, and I think as well, maybe this reveals more about my laziness, but I find rehearsals to be so reactive. Um, mm. You listen to something and you're like, oh, that's really good, but, but maybe try this or this. And without that, it, there's something sorely missing. But that said, uh, of course, there are always ways around it. And I think it's been nice to have sort of, I don't know, weekly Zooms with members of the choir and check they're all doing okay and talking about music and finding other ways of doing it, as you've done with Patapod, talking to people who you've sung with or worked with and finding out more about their musical interests. I think that's the perhaps the benefit is that it's been nice to actually get to know some people in the choir. I mean, between you and me and your avid fan base, you know, there are people whose name I didn't know really until it appeared on Zoom, you know, so... <laughs> I'm so glad that I was living alone when I was doing all those videos and doing <laughs> live. Just the idea that someone else would be in the next room listening. No, 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 no. Well, that was the thing. When I watched your your ladies' choir concert mm. and you in your wonderful jacket sipping your champagne, uh, I thought, oh, that's fantastic. That's so funny. And he's really sort of got the, he's really got this, you know, it's really a really lovely chance for you to be yourself after you know, difficult couple of months and, and, and show off a bit. I thought it was really fantastic. And when I tried to sort of do the same thing, you know, my mum thought I was mad. <laughs> so, mm, why, mm. why is he drinking so much for a video? Why is he this? And then sort of saying to me, are you, are you sure you should put this on YouTube? You know, I... <laughs> now, Stop I'm going to... judging me. <laughs> I'm just going to let you know that I actually uh, watched the whole of that concert this morning. Oh, and... Wow. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I was a bit concerned about halfway through. It was like, he's mixing quite a lot of alcohol here. <laughs> and um, But I was impressed with that sort of transition from you standing outside with a towel. Oh, don't give the game away. People can watch this. No spoilers. I'll say nothing else, but it was... <laughs> it took me back. <laughs> <laughs> More broadly, as you know, I've written, I had to sort of put my thoughts down about um, virtual choirs in lockdown and, and the difficulties that that presents and what is the point of it. I think particularly when you're working with 
actually any, quite of any standards, but I think it's more true with community choirs is that we've been conditioned to listen to things online or any sort of recording and expecting really high quality, which which isn't honest. Mm. In, in, for any professional choir, they will do things in a number of takes and they might even splice things. So to expect a similar standard from any group of singers is, is really, really hard. So I think it's important to accept the fact that it's got to be more honest and more ready you know, within limits, no one wants to be too disappointed. But then one way of making it more fun is is to try and make it more more visual. Because I think, you know, why would you go to a community choir concert? Uh, it's because you want to support someone or you want to see some people enjoy themselves singing. Mm. And, yeah, obviously it's a kind of a cheap gimmick way of doing it, but I think it made it more fun. And I think particularly, you know, you saw from from the choir that for that piece they all got dressed up which i hadn't expected and that was uh you know that was fantastic and hopefully they enjoyed making it a little bit more as well if you'd like to watch it just search chumley call society on youtube and uh, you can waste 26 minutes of your life doing that as well i don't think anyone would have any regrets after watching it i think it's <laughs> highly entertaining you can play drink along with me as well <laughs> no you end up in a and e so how do you think going like it's sort of managing the change going back into like a live thing do you think that's gonna your experience and over the last sort of six seven months and pulling that virtual concert together do you think that's going to change how you approach live concerts again no there's no substitute for live music and i think that's going to be incredibly pertinent this christmas when Mm. there'll be a few brave choirs who would do live concerts and I think that's fantastic because really it's about the atmosphere it's about the experience and you don't yeah. you don't get any sense of that through a video yeah I, I think I wouldn't change things at all I think live music is, is so important I don't think I've learned anything that affects how I do things in the live setting um yeah. do you think you'll change how you do anything um I don't know really I mean I'm I'm just sort of in a very peculiar sort of situation at the moment where I'm in a new city and I've got a new choir um, and we're very lucky that we've just managed to start rehearsals again and do things socially distance and sing for Sunday mass and stuff. So I'm trying to figure them out and what sort of stuff we might want to do and planning ahead to the next sort of year thinking, well, actually, everything's going to have to be COVID secure. So how are we going to do that? What do we actually want to do? And I think anything that we do will be short, snappy stuff. Well, I think that's a very interesting question. Though. How Being somewhere new where you, you don't know everything and everyone, how have you found recruiting for your choir? That must be nearly impossible. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been interesting. Uh, we've, I mean, there was a big question about choral scholars because the choir is made up of volunteers and choral scholars. And... Manchester has had was sort of all over the news for students catching COVID and being locked up in their halls and stuff and there was a question of do we want to engage choral scholars is that going to be a risk to our volunteer members of the choir but we came to the decision well actually no we do and we're quite clear to our everyone who wants to sing in the choir this is your decision if you want to sign up and you need to really seriously consider if you are a member of the vulnerable or extremely vulnerable category whether you should be attending and that's their own decision um but we're doing everything in a very um sensible and risk assessed to the moon way and 
So, and we've been able to recruit uh, five new Coral Scholars in the past week. Congratulations, uh, that's fantastic. That's been, yeah, that's been really encouraging. And I think there will, it'll take a while for people to know that we're here. Um, just for, I think, for confidence for people, because I think yeah. there are going to be people out there who will want to join a, that sort of choir. But it'll take a while for them to have the confidence in wanting to join, I think, because of COVID. Yeah. And getting used to used to new protocols when you come into a room and how to how to deal with that in a, in a choir setting, and that'll take a few goes to to make sure you feel like you're doing the right thing. And that is that is quite tricky because I think there are there are certainly a couple of people in the choir at the moment who are quite vocal about being, you know, socially distanced, and and yeah. I'm one of them. I mean, as the person who's running the session, if you're not sort of yes, leading of course, the way in yeah. that, then it's it's not good really. <laughs> no but i think that's an amazing achievement that you've you've managed to recruit five course colors in a new city uh, and a new job uh, during during this crisis i think that is an amazing achievement yeah and i'm really really tough by it and you should be. to be able to do the first mass last sunday and it go well and people really enjoy it was wonderful i mean there's a lot of um i mean it did go really well and I thought I was quite canny with the music choice, but um... I bet you were. <laughs> so we did a bit of chant, but we opened with the classic Viadana Exaltata Eusti. So the one in the uh, European Sacred Music Book. Yes, near the back. Yeah. Marvelous, love bit Euro trash. Which I usually hate. I'm like, this is overdone. <laughs> Nothing's <laughs> overdone after this last six months, Alex. Well, this is it. And carte blanche. to open, because the cathedral usually open with a with a hymn, so I'm obviously not allowed to do that with congregational singing uh, not being permitted. So we opened with the choir singing that. And it was just a burst of joy and this burst of energy and caught everyone's attention. And it was just very jolly and uplifting. And then during the communion, we sang John Rutter's Look to the Day, which he wrote mid-noughties, I think, for Cancer Research UK. It's classic John Rutter. It's got so many key changes. I don't, I just don't know where to look. Um, but it's it Bill, it like starts off with Sopranos and Alto singing, and then there's a bit of harmony, and the men come in, and then there's all like, key change, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it builds, and it's just really uplifting, but the words are very meaningful for what we're going through right now. And, I mean, loads of people were crying, which is great. That, um, yeah. In the choir, in the congregation, both? Mostly in the congregation, um, priests. I found it I found it really moving on a sort of personal level, because just because I was like, okay, well, this is the, fir- the first mass that I will have done with the cathedral choir, the adult choir. Yeah. And... But I could feel how emotional it was for people in the congregation because I've. Mm. The great thing about the job has been, um, and starting in July, has meant that I've actually had the time to talk to members of the congregation and meet the community without the sort yeah. of pressure of conducting and taking the choir and stuff. So I've had that time of the past three months to get to know them a bit, and everyone was just desperate for the choir to come back. And you can just feel that this was a moment. And just and there's just that sort of sense of being incredibly fortunate that we're able to do it because actually we've got in the cathedral at the moment we've got quite there's quite a lot of dead space 
um, around where the choir is, which has been great for us because we, it now means that we got the space to socially distance. Yeah. And we're actually using the space really well. And I think that's and because everyone's slightly more spread out, the, there's something going on with the acoustics and actually the projection and stuff is a lot clearer and speaks better to the congregation. Oh, fantastic. So it's been really, <laughs> that's been really great. Um, and then it's posing more questions of, oh, so maybe, maybe we need to think more about where the choir actually is and how spread out we're going to be in normal times yeah. because yeah. This, is, this is quite good. Oh, that's really, really cool. I think it's, yeah, I think if everyone, that first experience of live music after however long it's been, is really emotional. One of the really moving things actually was Sunday Gone was the first even song with the the treble choristers at St Albans, first time they'd been back, and that was that was very moving. And I was sort of quite surprised that I was sort of so touched by that. And I think it might be to do with the fact that the time that their voices exist is much shorter, so any time off is is eating into that. And then you realise actually that when something is so transient and finite, then you value it more, don't you? Yeah. Gosh, this is beautiful. Well, sounds like you're doing bloody great work in Manchester. Well done. Thank you. I mean, it's, it has its challenges. Of course, yeah. Well, I mean, you're... like you have gone into to do this at the most difficult time you could possibly have ever done it. So. Yeah, and in a way, it's a good excuse <laughs> because <laughs> you're like, okay, well, this isn't. So we've started a children's choir, and the first week we had four kids to that. And I had said, That's great for social distancing, though, isn't it? Well, oh, it's, it's ideal. Also, it's really good for me to remember their names, um, which is <laughs> a challenge for me. But it's tricky because you've got schools in the local area basically telling their pupils, you are not allowed to mix with other kids outside of schools. So don't be going to other after-school clubs. So that does pose a few issues when you're trying to start up a a new choir <laughs> yeah but if you have um, a new one every week then you know yeah i know exactly and we've what the local primary school have they had said to me really early on actually we're telling the kids that they're not allowed to mingle but actually do you want to come in and do an after-school choir with us with our just our kids so we've started doing that which is good so it's it's good there are, there's pockets of new green shoots happening which is great and i just yeah yeah you've got to cherish those those moments and sort of nurture it and it gives you time to really focus on those individuals and engage with them and connect with them on a level so that actually they will want to come back the next week and sing with you beautifully put you should do this for a job um no one is being paid for this i'll just say that actually if anyone would like to support the podcast please please do get in touch because that would be really great because currently you know this is running at a loss <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> There's no income from this. So, William, should we tell the fans how we know each other? That's a very good question. I was thinking about that earlier today, in case you asked this question, and I didn't bother to do my research. I was hoping that I'd be able to find out how long we've been friends on Facebook. But it must be easily 12 years. But could it be Could it be more? Probably not. I think it's probably 12 years we've been friends on Facebook. I don't think I really mixed with any singers at university until 2008 i don't think okay midway through second year i think we both sang in viva voce the chamber choir of the university of nottingham is that the first time we would have met 
yeah, I think it would have been the first time we'd met. I don't know when I started in Viva Voce because it wasn't the beginning of the year. So I came came in through some at some point, but it was that year, wasn't it, when you were at MD in Gilbert and Sullivan? It was, was it our it was our third year. Oh, okay. And I remember sitting next to you in a rehearsal and sort of suggesting that you should maybe audition. Oh, really? I recall you doing that in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> rehearsal, pub, there was probably a drink in hand. I just remember you getting me drunk and saying, you should really come and audition for Gilbert and Sullivan. And I was thinking, this guy's very, very nice. He's very nice, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I think, I think I met you in 2008, singing in the University Chamber Choir. And then uh, you gave me a proposition I simply couldn't refuse, which was sing for you as you were the musical director of the Gilbert and Sullivan Society. Uh, I think... I think you did come to regret that, as you often have when it comes to working with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I completely disagree with that. I can still remember your hornpipe. Hard to forget from the pit, I imagine. Yeah, looking up and seeing that every night, that was (laughs) (laughs) glorious. I mean, it was probably better than looking down into the pit where most of the orchestra were drunk. (laughs) That was slightly stressful. It was uh, no, it's very entertaining. But uh, no, it was a really lovely way of getting to know you um, during that whole process. Yeah, um, and you. <laughs> I don't think I've ever drunk so much red wine in a rehearsal. I don't think I've ever been so unprofessional. But we weren't paid, so it's <laughs> fine. So that's when I met you, and then um, in two thousand and ten, I asked if I could live with you, and you said yes, uh, and then. Young Rene jumped on the bandwagon, yeah. And uh, I think I think you were already living with Paddy Burnett, weren't you? Uh, yeah. So then I had a whole year living with you, which was um, just fantastic, actually. Really, really. I think I think I learned an awful lot from you uh, that year. Oh dear. Yeah. No, I think that's true. But no, it was really a really really happy time, actually. So you've not been able to get rid of me ever since then. <laughs> well, I think it was. I mean, for me. 2010 I was still doing my postgrad at Birmingham so I was living in Nottingham with you but commuting over to Birmingham now and again during the week and you're working in the was it the archaeology department archaeology yeah of the university um, as an admin assistant and then I was moved I think at that time to the English department during that year mm-hmm. um, which was really good fun I've I look back, actually, I look back at that time with so much fondness. Living with you guys, working at the university and doing admin was hilarious. I had so much fun. (laughs) But it was also like compositionally as well, it was also quite fruitful. And when I look back at that time and people say, oh, do you wish that you'd moved to Birmingham to do your master's? And on on one hand, I, I sort of do. I think I would have got more out of that degree and meeting people and connections and all that sort of stuff. But living in Nottingham at that time was so so fruitful compositionally and really set me up for the 10 years after that you did you did write an awful lot that year uh I did I did write an awful lot um including a song did three song cycles yeah it would have been so I wrote the first song cycle for you uh Elizabeth and Carla Matthews Fallen Petals, which was a setting of Oscar Wilde poetry. 
I look back at it and I go, actually, I'm really proud of some bits of that. No, it's really fantastic. And I think in that as well, a lot of your your sort of idiosyncratic style and sound came came out. I mean, maybe it existed beforehand, but I certainly became much more aware of it having done that in the other things that you were writing. It was identifiably you. And I think that's, well, I think that's very important. Yeah. Well, that's it. (laughs) It's interesting because I, um, have you come across the Coral Chihuahua podcast? I've only listened to a couple of episodes, but yeah, I'm aware of it. Yeah. So the recent episode um, had Roddy Williams as a guest and he Mm. was talking about, they were talking about him as a composer and he had mentioned, because they said, they said when people commission Roddy, they never quite know what sort of piece they're going to get because yeah. he's got quite a diverse range of styles and it's all quite different his music and he was making the point that actually uh when p- people commission you they're basically looking for you to write the same sort of piece but for them and like yeah. slightly better because they know your style and those little trademarks um in your music and they're comfortable yeah. with that and that's what they want um and i think I quite like what Rolly was saying about wanting to do something different. And I try and, I think when I try and approach a new piece, I do like to put new things in and like try and explore my whole sort of compositional palette. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's, that's really important. Yeah. But there are little things that I still do, little sort of melodic shapes that I use, harmony and like stuff that all goes back to fallen petals i can i can trace it right back to that piece and you know what i quite enjoy that <laughs> yeah no you should be really proud of that i think i honestly think it's uh, i'm who am i to to judge it? i'm just a, a fan i've no credentials but um that's a really fantastic piece of music and some really brilliant ideas um Aww. obviously my favorite bits were listening to carla and lish but you know <laughs> <laughs> um well there are some i mean the penultimate of a movement being uh, a, so- a solo cello movement. There are bits of that that really get me, and it that only works sort of in the context, I think, of the whole piece because um, it brings together. Or oh, context, we can talk about that soon. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some. I just I love the combination of tenor, cello, and piano, and there are some bits where you're all sort of going for it, where I'm like, this is great. I think your voice really suits the way I wrote it. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, uh, it's very, very enjoyable to sing. Some really lovely line writing. Um, probably not always, always accurately sung, but uh, very, very enjoyable nonetheless. And, and I think it's very clever as well, the way you have the dialogue between the tenor and the cello. I think the cello is widely regarded as the instrument that is closest to the human voice 
Um, mm. And so that it, that's even more pronounced and powerful in that. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, it's really some of that, some of the answers that it gives. And then I think as well, and this is something again, we can talk about with other things, but um, it makes the audience ask questions about, about what's going on. Okay. If I, if I say something that's very explicit because I have the words, but then the cello responds, then they're thinking, oh, that, that, that was this, but then, you yeah. know, it's not explicit, but they're given them framework to begin to invent their own stories and questions about the the interpretation of the of the poem. And I think that's really that's really cool the way you did that. That's really clever. Thank you. Aren't you clever? Um, hmm. I find this all very uncomfortable. I think there are definitely moments I remember setting stuff and reading because you read the poem and you have your interpretation of it and you sort of figure out what you mean but then there's something about when you're writing when you're setting some stuff and the music takes you in a completely different direction and sometimes it's like do you want to do you want to go on that direction because it sort of makes sense musically but it goes against what your meaning of the poem is Um, or do you change tact and uh, try and make the music fit more what you're thinking and I think yeah. there has been moments in that piece where I've just gone, no, I'm just going to follow the music because I feel as if that's opening up the poem slightly and making it less clear of what I actually mean. Yeah. I suppose when you're writing anyway, you presumably have those moments where you think that. Um, but but also then, <laughs> this isn't meant to be egocentric, but when when you heard it sung... Obviously, apart from all your thoughts of that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, and um, were those were the moments where you thought, oh, I I didn't actually think of it like that, but maybe that, or any moments where you thought, hmm, shouldn't have um, done that. Yeah, <laughs> there were a few moments where I think there was I think in the second movement where you come in, Lish plays a bit and like starts the phrase up, and you say you sing like nay, do not start, and you sang it like quite aggressively. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You look down at the page and you go, yeah, of course, that's how he would sing that. Because that's that's what that looks like. But in my head, it wasn't like that at all. It was a very smooth line and there was no aggression in it at all. I thought, I don't know how I feel about that because that's not what I was thinking. Oh, wow. But I, and it sort of, um, it's always fascinating when other people like look at your music and interpret your music because you're thinking they've done not done it the way I wanted it to happen, and that's my fault because I've not articulated that clearly enough on the page. I think that used to annoy me generally way back in the day, but now I quite like it, and I I quite like how other people interpret the piece because I think when you finish something and you you, you give it to other people and it's for other people to interpret and make what they will. I mean, I think ultimately I've got my my own idea of every piece that I do and um, I quite like conducting like the first performance of particularly my choral music. Yeah. And I like to have a, a recording of that and then that's my sort of interpretation of that at that point in time. But then it's just up for grabs, really. But then presumably as well, you know, you, you hate something in your head and you write it down, but then when it comes to realising it, there are obviously going to be moments where you think, I'll bend my own rules. Yeah, yeah. But I guess there's no one better place to do that than, than you. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, we're going to have to move on because I can't take this. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's how we met, yeah. And then you wrote three song cycles uh, in a one year because you're a bloody hero, and you wrote loads of other great stuff. And then uh, we stopped living together, but um, we've managed to maintain this this friendship for yeah ten years after that, which is pretty good going. Pretty marvelous, yeah. No, thank you for that. I'll Very get really nice. drunk and I'll, thank I'll you. send you a really emotional sort of like message with me <laughs> crying about how much I value our relationship and your friendship. Um, but I'm just not ready just, to do that. I don't know if you remember. Well, I'm sure you do. But there was one occasion when I don't know what we'd been doing, but I was late for a Gilbert and Sullivan rehearsal. Plus ça change, and uh, we were walking down from the Mooch or somewhere like that, <laughs> and and um, we decided we we were pissed. Uh, it's fair to say we were inebriated. We we're walking down, and we decided to take a bottle of wine, perhaps two, for the road. Anyway, there's not there wasn't a fair distance between whether Florence Boot Hall, wherever it was, and, and the Mooch. But um, halfway there, we decided we were so thirsty, we must open uh, one of the bottles of wine there and then. And uh, <laughs> having watched some YouTube video where someone removes um, a cork with their shoe, we then did that against a wooden fence. Do you remember? We, we... I, I do. I was blown away because I was like, this is nonsense. This is not going to work. But it did. It did work. Do you know how many times I've tried since then? Um, <laughs> how many shoes and bottles of wine that I've ruined in the process? Um, I couldn't believe it works. I'm just glad there was someone else there who, who, who. But then we went to the rehearsal, and I think we spent the entire rehearsal locked, locked, having locked ourselves in the toilets, drinking a bottle of wine. Very good rehearsal. I think that was a really productive rehearsal for many reasons, probably. For the, actually, probably for the rest of them, it was a really productive rehearsal with us not being like, really that present. We must do that again soon. Yes. Well, I am. I, I do have an appetite for GNS at the moment, which is quite worrying. To, well, it's quite embarrassing to admit, probably. Um, no, not at all. On a podcast. It's but... a sem- clearly a seminal time in our lives. We need to talk a bit more about you because, um, contrary to what people believe, it's not all about me. Even though my warm up before this podcast was me, 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 me. <laughs> well, I insisted that you call this podcast "Marvelous Me," and I was quite disgusted. Magical me, maybe would have been better. Passport's <laughs> very good. More, more in brand, in keeping with the brand. I think that's important. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't want like people to be too put off by how sort of egocentric I am. Anyway, back to you, William. <laughs> Can you give us like just a bit of a brief outline of your musical history? What was it like for you growing up? And was there music in the house? What sort of stuff was being played? Okay, so growing up, 
my biggest of musical memories are in the morning, my dad would put a CD on uh, and always quite loudly because my mum would usually complain. Um, and the CDs I that have stuck in my head would be um, Booker T and the MGs, Green Onions and uh, Madonna, the Immaculate Collection. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that was a really good one because I, you know, when you mishear lyrics, as a child, as an adult, um, <laughs> her song, time. her song, "Material Girl," uh, I thought it was "Serial Girl," <laughs> and so whenever, whenever that was on, I'd be going, "Serial, serial, I am a serial girl," and uh, <laughs> then uh, <laughs> insisting on having cereal for breakfast. Um, so uh, that was uh, yeah, so, uh, and the Beatles as well. So that was the thing that was always on. Um, and then, uh, obviously played like recorder at primary school or whatever. And my mum took me to a little youth music place around the corner. I think we played recorder there when I was wee. Um, anyway, at some point, apparently I said to her, I want to sing. Um, and I think there had been a, they had, they tried to have a junior choir at my local church, but it had been disbanded for lack of interest. So she drummed up a bit of support for it and got it started again, uh, which was really, you know, lovely of her. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. So I then, so I sang in the junior choir at church and joined two choirs at school. I was very lucky that at school we had a chapel choir and I, d- I did that as like a, a wee chorister, as a treble. Um, and we did, you know, one, one even song a month or term or something. I don't know. Um, but it was really, I mean, really lovely. But that was sort of my first introduction to choral music, and then that stuck with me. I just really, I really, I really loved it. I think I loved it. I clearly loved it more than anyone else. <laughs> um, hmm. And I think as well, you go through as an old boys' school, and singing carries with it a certain uh, stigma. And uh, yeah, you, you obviously like, I'm, obviously I'm the pinnacle of privilege, but obviously. Uh, uh, I'm not complaining about it, but the, 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 you'd, I'd get teased for being in the choir and stuff. I mean, not horrendously, mm. but you would because it's singing. Um, and I think maybe other friends of mine might have been bothered about that. I might have stopped, or some may have not been about bothered about it. And and continue. but I, I certainly loved it enough not to be fussed and and kept going. And then I just always always really loved singing. I guess, yeah, mm. um, absolutely rubbish at everything else musical. Now. That's not true. <laughs> but no, really, really, yeah, just really, really loves it. And then I went to university, obviously sang a lot there with you. And then in my final year, having watched uh, a number of my peers have a go at taking the reins of the chamber choir, I decided I'd do the same thing. Yeah. And then uh, off the bat of that, did a lot of other choral conducting, which has been really lovely because as you well know i have many many opinions and uh, it's lovely to be able to try and realize those in music to find out if i am in fact correct or wrong because opinions are right or wrong (laughs) that's an interesting angle on that i think (laughs) because i i know now my interpretation of pieces has changed quite a lot and i think that's probably come with experience and it also depends what choir you've got in front of you. But um, yeah. there are ways that I will conduct a piece now that are miles, miles apart from what I would have done 10 years ago. Um, in terms of the sound that you want? Um, the, 
yeah, the sound, um, but also just basic things like the tempo and um, the way I might do some transitions and stuff. Yeah, it's it's that's changed a bit. I've got a bit more rigor. I've got a bit more integrity when it comes to mm. some things. But I think I think that you say everything is so. Um, the choir you have in front of you, the building you're in, um, yeah. all these sorts of things are, are, are such huge factors to how you will conduct a piece and the and the kind of sound that you you want to get out of it. And of course, as well, like the, the music itself. Um, yeah, I think that all of those sort of external factors. I think there are people who forget about those external factors. Um, I see it a lot with young conductors who are conducting a choir and they're conducting the choir that they will want to have and they get really frustrated yeah. because they're not conducting the singers in front of them that's something i just get really annoyed about but yeah you're right it's conducting those singers and adapting to the space that you're in and the occasion that you're singing for and all of that exactly of stuff. yeah i think that's i think that's hugely important I, and the yeah the occasion is, is so key and the, the i think just to pick up on the occasion in the building the occasion is really important because if you're singing something liturgically you have to either accept that you're doing it for people to either enjoy the liturgy or you're doing it to indulge in the music. There's no middle ground. So either make it, either get the hell on with it um, and make sure everyone can understand it or wallow in it. But don't, don't try and do both. Don't, don't pretend that it's, I'm great. You know, it's, it, sometimes it can be really functional and people always forget that. Um, yeah. And that, that's the detriment, not just of the occasion, but also the music, which often has been written functionally and not for, you know, huge sort of rubato indulgences but equally with the building as well it's not like what i can't stand is if you're in a very wet acoustic and someone just conducts something the way they always conduct it it's like this is mm. you know you've got to allow for this for yeah this acoustic. You, have, you have to respond and similarly if you're somewhere in a very very dry acoustic don't wallow like it's not going to ring around just get on with it yeah and i think that's what i've that's what I've really enjoyed about going on tour with a choir where you're yes. you've yeah, got you the, can respond. the set work, the set piece, and then you have your like five minutes before doing a random mass in a, some sort of Spanish country, um, <laughs> Spanish cathedral. And you're like, okay, well, we're going to have to take this a lot slower because though this Palestrina thing that we usually sort of get on with is just going to be muddy and just it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Um, so we're just gonna have to tweak the tweak that a bit and actually create a bit more space. Yeah, and I remember I remember actually at uni when we did um, uh, the Gorecci. Yes, how you pronounce it? Totus Tuus. I remember that piece suddenly made sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because you just suddenly had all these bars rest and they had a purpose. And I was like, that's why it's written like this. Suddenly this yeah. piece makes a lot of sense. No, I think that's really important. And I think that's just, yeah. Again, no, that's the, I think that's perhaps why, what lured me into conducting was uh, I was born of, slightly born of frustration. Um, yeah. And I suppose you have to put your money where your mouth is to an extent, don't you? Like, it's obviously much. It's actually much more difficult being on the other side of the bar and seeing what it's like. But I'm I'm pleased that that's the journey I took because I still have opinions and I I'm so much more aware 
of, I think by being a singer and a conductor, I'm so much more aware of what I want to see and what I don't like seeing, what's helpful, what's not helpful. I think that's really important. Being a conductor, has that changed the way you sing for other people? Uh, oh, that's a good question. No, I don't think so. I think when I, I am more aware musically as a result, I mean, th- thankfully. Um, <laughs> also, I, I don't think I, I don't think I really knew how to count properly until I had to do conducting. I didn't, I didn't really understand. And and now I'm I'm more of a tyrant for it. Um, okay. Well, just in terms in terms of. I don't know if you find this tall, but like obviously, I like I like a bit of indulging. I love I love a good writ into a tempo because I'm a sort of romantic tart. But um, you can't have that unless you really understand what the tempo is. So it's like having an elastic band; you can pull it, but it has to get back to its original shape. And how many times that doesn't happen? And the amount of times you're doing something like um, that, Lawrence and the Manu Mysterium, someone will slow it down but it it never gets back to the original tempo and it it ends up you just sort of think is this this ever going to end yeah Um, and it's like being stuck on the magic roundabout and it's always going to slow down but it's never going to stop so you're now working uh well in normal times you're doing you're a singer and conductor yeah that's right do a bit of teaching, do a few other bits and bobs. Uh, like most uh, musicians in this time, uh, I'm seriously considering a change for not for a number of reasons. But yeah, I think that it's sort of that's become more pertinent. And you sort of it's it's not so much that we are viable thing. It's you know, for a long time I've sort of thought, well, where does it where does this all go? And actually, what I really enjoy, maybe I'm a bit of a chicken, but I really enjoy rehearsal and it's something that i think is chronically undervalued in professional musician music music making because there's obviously an associated cost and people want to cut costs where possible yeah. one of the great things about amateur music making is that you can afford rehearsal time and obviously no one's no one in their life has ever said i think that was enough rehearsal obviously that never happens obviously you always yeah. but um it's, it's much more appreciated with amateur music making and i think this is perhaps also a reflection of maybe my ability as a professional singer that i find that I don't get, if I'm singing for someone, I don't get to um, do as much with the music as I would like to be doing. Yeah. Based on the rehearsal time that's, that's shorter. Whereas with amateur choirs, I feel when I'm conducting them that uh, we can get our fingers a bit more into the music and underneath it and find out what's going on. And I think that's really important, like knowing a work better, maybe understanding it a bit more. One of the things that you're, you're quite good at is you get uh, your choirs often to learn something off by heart don't you in a, in a concert and i think that's that's one wonderful and really to be lauded there's a wonderful quote actually which i'm going to misremember here but it was with the the ray von williams mass in g minor i think it's oh, dedicated to gustav holst and maybe the whitson singers um yeah and um Anyway, I think its first liturgical performance was in, in one of the Westminsters, but there was another performance by this group of singers. But he wrote to Holst after he'd gone to hear them sing it, whatever. And they'd, they'd all learned it off by heart. And he, Ray Fulham's wrote, I've heard it performed many times, but never sung. 
or perhaps the words were the other oh, way around. Wow. I don't know. But it was it was very beautifully put. But I think that's yeah. true. I think you know you could really to have an emotional connection with something. There's got to be something much more than uh, sort of surface value. And um, you know certainly if you do a lot of coursing in churches, often you turn up and you have a rehearsal just beforehand, or you may have had two rehearsals beforehand or whatever. But then you you, you put out something. And I, I think you know if, if you were a string quartet. You would dream of doing something like that. I mean, if it's in the back catalogue, sure, but not for like a new piece. You'd, you'd actually dedicate some time to actually really, really learning it and not just sort of... And I think that attitude has prevailed then and, and become slightly more ubiquitous amongst singers and, and, and amateur singers, I think. I would worry that sometimes there's that sense of, oh, we didn't make any mistakes. And that's like, that that should be your base. That should be the, the minimum requirement. Right? Mm. That's the... That's not singing a piece of music. That's just getting the notes right. I always felt very odd, certainly when I was younger at school and stuff, where you'd work really hard for a piece of music and you perform it once and you'd not do it again. Yeah. Um, which is is mad, you know. And if you if you're working as a, an actor, whatever you learn, you learn something and then you you do a run of shows. And it's silly that choirs don't don't do that. I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, and it's nice as well, you know, do a concert in your in your usual place but then maybe maybe go somewhere else somewhere where they don't have that and equally as well then the, the bunch of having it of learnt it is if you do go on tour at the end of the year imagine a world where we can do that again then uh you know should should your call of scholars stay up all night uh trying all the local produce um then the next morning they can churn out the honest day without too much trouble so do you think in terms of your musical tastes now obviously Ooh, can, we, can you hold, hold that thought can i go yeah. for a wee yeah i'm also going to go for a wee okay see you see you in one minute I'll leave it running so, okay great 